0: Chapter One of Policy and Passion. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Policy and Passion by Rosa Campbell Praed. Chapter One At Brachers' Inn. Brachers, the chief inn at Kooya, was a one storied wooden building placed at the junction of the two principal streets of the township. A wide veranda, enclosed by dingy railings which had been originally painted green, and filled with squatter's chairs and small wooden tables, extended round the two visible sides of the hotel. A bar, much frequented by the ruffs who came down from the bush for a spree, faced one of the streets, and a coffee-room, which served as a rendezvous for the passengers by Cobb's coach to and from Town, and opened by glass doors onto the veranda, fronted the other thoroughfare it wanted now about an hour to the time at which the coach usually started and the vehicle ready to be horsed was drawn up beside the signpost it was a clumsy affair painted red and yellow a wooden framework supported an awning of which the leather curtains might be pulled up or down at will in front there was a high driver's box two wooden benches faced each other behind and at the extreme end was a third only to be approached by a scramble over the backs of the others the coach was generally drawn by five horses the time was half past four in the afternoon of a sultry day in february A storm brooded in the distance and there was an ominous stillness in the atmosphere the oleanders and loquat trees before the opposite houses looked brown and thirsty the acacias in the inn garden drooped with sickly languor and the spiky crowns of the golden pineapples beneath them were thickly coated with dust flaming hibiscus flowers stared at the beholder in a hot aggressive fashion there was no green shadow anywhere to afford relief to eyes wearied with brightness and colour brassy clouds were gathering slowly in the west and the sun beating pitilessly upon the zinc roofs of the verandahs was mercilessly refracted from the glaring limestone hills that formed the eastern border of the township two long roads intersected each other at the inn corner one stretched away into the bush, where it wound among gaunt gum trees and lost itself in the dull herbage with which the country was overgrown. The other seemed to terminate abruptly upon the summit of a chalky ridge, where a clump of grass trees, with their brown, spear like tufts erect, looked like sentinels to the barren scene. Wooden porticoed shanties, alternating at intervals with brick public offices, newly painted stores which displayed all varieties of wares, and gaudy public houses round which clustered brawny sunburnt navvies lined but did not shade the streets the general air of the place was one of inaction sometimes a bullock dray piled with bales of wood or station stores would rumble by or a covered cart driven by a weather-beaten german woman from some neighbouring selection would pause for a moment in front of brashers while its owner interchanged a few words with some acquaintance lounging at the bar more frequently, a bushman in crimean shirt and moleskins, with his coat strapped before him, would clatter over the stony road and dismount before the inn. First, he would unsaddle his horse, hanging its bridle on to the railings of the verandah, while the animal, accustomed to the habits of the place, would find its own way to the water trough. Next, the newcomer would don his coat and saddle across to the post office opposite, whence he would shortly return, laden with letters and newspapers which he would place upon the arm of a squatter's chair in readiness for inspection then after carefully choosing the shadiest side of the verandah he would stretch his legs at full length dangle his feet over the railings call for a glass of grog to wash the dust out of his throat thereby intensifying the redness of a sun-baked face and would finally set himself to the perusal of his correspondence many bushmen had arrived at Brachers that afternoon and all had gone through exactly the same formula with the occasional addition of a greeting to one or other of those already assembled on the inn veranda good-day to you steaming hot looks like a storm brewing very dry up-country fine weather this for the cotton growers and such-like interjectional remarks sounded unfamiliarly in the ears of an english gentleman but lately arrived in australia who was leaning against one of the veranda posts contemplating with languid interest the scene around him he was smoking and apart from his air and physique the silver-mounted match-box in his hand and the perfume of his expensive cigar sufficiently indicated him to the intelligence of the bushman as a chap from the old country nevertheless his tall broadly built figure bronzed high-bred face and soldier-like bearing had no generic affinity with the lank limbs the fresh-coloured supine features and frank gullibility of the typical new chum the boldest old hand would hardly have attempted to play a practical joke upon hard-dressed barrington he looked about thirty-five the upper part of his face was fine with a touch of nobility in the high forehead broad at its base but slightly receding at the crown the dark brown hair fringed off in little rings from the temples the brows were strongly marked and wrinkled together in a frown which deepened the indentures of the sockets and gave to the grey eyes a remarkable intensity of expression the nose was straight with a somewhat coarse conformation of nostril and had on each side a deep line extending below the upper lip the mouth was concealed by a heavy moustache and the clean-shaven slightly prominent chin was cleft in the centre a handsome man upon whom it would be impossible for the stranger not to bestow several glances of interest and of whom it might be safely surmised that he had travelled much and had come into contact with various grades of society i suppose that cobb's coach is on its last legs now said one of the squatters relighting a short black pipe that had expired between his lips i shouldn't wonder if we had steam carriages to leichardt's before december year do you think that longleat will carry his railway bill this session there'll be a stiff fight over the speech said a red-faced bushman in a cabbage-tree hat laying down the leichardt's town chronicle which he had been diligently perusing middleton has been blowing no end up north and there are some snug bursts to be given way folks must have an eye to their own pockets and for all the blather that people talk about impartiality there's no doubt that bribery tells in the long run i'll back longleat said another he is the devil for sticking to his purpose he said he'd make the colony and he is going the right way to work what leichardt's land wants is money and money means immigration and public works hullo tom Dungie, down from the koorong eh why you've given the little piebald a sore back with your hard riding tom Dungie, the mailman who had halted at the post office across the street had just removed his saddle with its load of brown leather post bags and was ruefully regarding a puffy spot above the loin which threatened unpleasant consequences to a dearly-loved pony two other horses which he had been driving one of which bore a pair of empty saddle-bags were browsing by the wayside dungy was a tiny fat man with small twinkling grey eyes a round face and a whining voice it's from all the lies i'm a carryin he squeaked the little piebald she's a righteous hoss and lord them parliamentary ringmaroles there's seven of them in blue envelopes from Coralbin. do you hack like a james blister upon his sensitive back a shout of laughter greeted tom Dungie's explanation but he maintained an imperturbable gravity during the explosion who's the hack for inquired one of the dwellers at brasher's it's that there lord Dira abba as has a new chum a-goin in for colonial experience squeaked Dungy giving each of the supernumerary beasts a sharp smack on the wither i say mr brasher but the axe up and don't 'em be turned out for any of your swell customers my word it's awful dry to-day longleat's on the road behind longleat shouted a group of men at the bar and soon the cry spread through the township even the children playing at fives with the pebbles in the road caught it up and their mothers rushed out to join in the excitement before many minutes a small crowd had assembled in front of Brachers. who is longleat asked the englishman longleat echoed a hirsute squatter who expectorated freely and frankly owned to american origin longleat he repeated not looking at his questioner but gazing over the heads of the crowd into the vista of houses and distant trees Well, wow, it's my opinion sir that it ud be worth your while to study up on the politics of this air-rising colony if it's only to become acquainted with the career of thomas longleat of kurilbin a remarkable man sir the champion of the working class the pillar of progress and the enemy of the tyrannical and parsimonious democracy the speaker drawled out with lagging eloquence his emphasized adjectives hitched up his trousers and slouched to the other end of the veranda his eyes still fixed upon the distant object of his attention which was rapidly resolving itself into a flying speck advancing mid a cloud of freshly raised dust but who is longleat inquired barrington again member for Cooya and premier of leichardt's land replied a spry little stockman in moleskins thank you said barrington a remarkable specimen sir of the vicissitudes of australia said the first speaker returning to his former position against the veranda rails it's a known fact that thomas longleat began life in this colony as a bullock-driver he ain't ashamed to own up to it a bullock-driver on these very roads that he is spanking over now with the finest team in leichardt's land a man has yoked his own beasts and spread his tarpaulin and chewed his quid of tobacco when the day's work was over and now why if he floats his railway loan her majesty will make him a knight of st michael and st george as sure as we're standing in braysher's veranda here he comes a buggy drawn by four steaming chestnuts rattled down the road and was pulled up in front of the hotel a stout red-faced gentleman with a swelling chest and commanding presence clad in white linen clothes and wearing a broad-brimmed puggareed hat descended from the vehicle he was followed by a wizened-up little man with very thin legs and a hooked nose, whose ferret-like face was fringed by a border of iron-gray hair and wore an unpleasant saturnine expression. The mob set up a cheer, which Longleat acknowledged by a good-humoured salutation, while his voice, sonorous but unrefined, sounded clearly above the uproar as he addressed the innkeeper. "Hi, Braysher! Good day to you. I'm going to Leckhart's down by the coach tonight." but mr ferris will be stopping here for a day or so look after my horses will you have you got four stalls empty the innkeeper advanced and touched his hat a mark of deference he had not shown to any of the previous arrivals well sir we're pretty full but we'll manage there's Dungie brought down two hacks for that there lord up your way but they can go off to the paddock and we'll make room somehow for your team Mr. Longleat smiled, tickled, and somewhat flattered by the evident fact that, that their lord was in Brasher's estimation of very small importance compared with himself. He shook hands with some of the men in the veranda, called for a tumbler of cold water which he drank standing, and said in a patronizing tone to his companion, who had ordered a glass of brandy in the coffee-room, "'A bad thing, Ferris. Stick to Adam's ale in a hot climate. Temperance and success, that's been my motto.' And I've got no cause to complain of the way I've got on in life. Mister Ferris retreated, scowling, to partake of his refreshment, and the Premier, after throwing a chafing word to Dungie, who was inclined to resent the summary expulsion of his horses, turned his eyes upon Barrington. He stared at the Englishman with a half angry curiosity, as though he recognized in him the representative of an order for which he had no liking. End of chapter one. Read by Céline Major